0: Today on Cyberwork, my guest is Che Wejasinga of Cape Privacy. Che and I have a great talk about the safe and ethical collection of user data when creating machine learning or predictive models. When your bank is weighing whether or not to give you a loan, they can make a better choice the more they info that they know about you. But I have to ask, how secure is that contextual data? Hint, it's not as secure as Che would like. So get the inside data privacy scoop today on Cyberwork. Welcome to this week's episode of the Cyber Work with Infosec podcast. Each week, we talk with a different industry thought leader about cybersecurity trends, the way those trends affect the work of infosec professionals, while offering tips for breaking in or moving up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. Uh, Chee uh has over 25 years of experience in the enterprise software industry as a senior executive and as an entrepreneur. Uh, Chee has a proven track record of building teams that deliver significant revenue growth and demonstrable business benefit. Uh, he was previously SVP of OmniSci, global head of data analytics sales at Cisco and EVP at Composite Software. So with more, more and more regulations around data privacy and data collection going into place, uh, the field of data collection for the purpose of machine learning models, by comparison, still feels kind of like the Wild West. Uh, so, based on the stream of data that's being accessed by those technologies and companies, uh, Che believes there's an opportunity to improve how and where data is used. So, these types of fine grain and ethical considerations are our bread and butter on cyber work. So, I'm looking forward to getting into it. Jay, thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Nice to be here. Uh, so, first question, uh, just to get a little background on you, where did you first get interested in computers and tech and, and what got you first excited about cybersecurity, what was the uh, the initial draw?
1: Sure. So, so, I was given my first computer in 1981 by my mom. As a small child, I'd spent hours learning how to code and play video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, that paved the way for my future undergraduate studies and career in the software industry. While I was at Cisco, I became interested and involved in cybersecurity software. The business and technical challenges around securing and protecting data are massive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you appreciate it's a fast-moving and fascinating field.
0: Oh yeah. Now, uh, yeah. What was what was the initial uh, appeal of of big data and, and data analytics? What were some of the hurdles and projects and milestones along the way that that got you to where you are now? Because I mean, obviously, one day you look and you're like, big data, this is for me. Like, what what were some of the first projects that you did in that space?
1: Yeah, I mean, I first started working on data analytics projects while I was at Deloitte Consulting. I was involved with large enterprise data warehouse implementations. Mm -hmm. Um, Those projects were resource and time intensive. The implementations took months, sometimes spanning over a year uh, to complete. uh, You know, complex solutions that involve both IT and the business to align on a transformation initiative. Um, I also spent a number of years at Composite Software, where we tackled Mm -hmm. difficult big data. Um, data integration challenges for many global companies. I think it was there that I truly began to appreciate the growing problems associated with data acquisition and data management. Mm-hmm. Now, what,
0: uh, I'm sorry, what, what year did you say
1: that was roughly? Um, so, 97 was when I was at Delight, and then subsequently okay. 2006. Uh, when okay. I joined Got from it. Puzzle Software. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha.
0: So, um, yeah, so let's start at the beginning here when we, when you know, because uh, a lot of our listeners are, are kind of new to the field or, or just trying to dip their toe in and see what area of, of cyber is interesting to them. So let's, let's sort of start at the beginning. When we speak about, uh, as, as we discussed before the show, user data as it regards machine learning, analytics and making technical decisions, what type of data are we speaking about? Can you give me a concrete example of a type of data that's regularly used to drive decision making through say modeling?
1: Sure, Chris, if we use like a really common example, everyone can understand, right? Mm -hmm. Getting credit from a bank. So 20 years ago, this process was done manually using paper. 10 to 15 years ago, it moved to electronic submissions of documents through email, and rules based processes to help automate the application. Today, banks can access customer financial data much more readily based upon data access such as credit scores that are so much more easily available. Regardless, all of these decisions are based on a past history. Now imagine if you could predict in a privacy-preserving manner which customers would be better longer-term customers based on data that today is less accessible due to its sensitive nature.
0: Hmm. Can you give me some examples of of these these less accessible types of data?
1: Yeah, I mean it's really anything that's confidential, right, Chris? Right. So your customer information, your, you know, all of your credit history, your mm-hmm. purchases, mm-hmm. where you shop, you know, um mm-hmm. where you have loans, a mortgage, uh, right. you know, extended credit, So like you're
0: so you're also sort of tracking things like uh, oh, you know, my my credit score got really good just in time to buy a house. But at the same time, if you look at the the payment history, like you know, that was a that was a recent development or something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, a great example, one that I often use is, you know, you have a married couple mm-hmm. and the the husband. Uh, Or let's say the the wife applies for the loan, but the husband actually has terrible credit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it would literally be about to link the the wife's credit with the husband's credit um, in order to be able to make that credit decision. And these decisions, I mean, they'll trawl through mountains of data sometimes. So Mm -hmm. um, being able to have all that correlation of all that confidential data across family members um, where there might be loans outstanding or other debt, uh, and making sure that the person that's applying for that loan uh, or that credit line is is actually someone that's um, you know going to be a, a good good customer. Yeah, is above border can at least
0: answer yeah, your absolutely. your detailed questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, to that end, you said that it would be nice if these types of uh, uh, data points are available, but it sounds like that means that they're not right now. Can you tell me about sort of where this is and if there's sticking points or if there's resistance or, or or, sort of where are we at at, at this very moment?
1: I, mean, I would argue, Chris, that the data is actually available, but mm-hmm. it's not being protected. And so okay. we have situations where you know this data is in the cloud mm-hmm. and we'll use different cloud services, whether it's iCloud or you know things like Alexa or Siri data is being transferred, but not necessarily privacy preserved. And Mm -hmm. so in the example of the bank loan, um, you know, that information could be shared, unencrypted um, between different providers, between different partners. Uh, And so, you know, people's personal information is actually at risk of of being breached.
0: Gotcha. So now, um, is there a big difference between how data is protected via uh, compliance regulations like CCPA or GDPR versus how it's used for things like machine learning models described here? Uh, are there different regulations? It almost sounds like there's not enough regulations to your tastes in the way it's done right now, what with the cloud and stuff. So uh, how are these types of use and levels of protection potentially different?
1: Yeah, great question. I mean, I, th- I think regulations like GDPR and CCPA are just frankly not specific enough to include machine learning applications, yeah. applications today, right? So right. there is some good regulation and good precedent but we've still got a long way to go. Big tech, yeah. you know, as, as everybody knows. Yeah, because it's, it's
0: it's two completely different applications of what you know, whether you're storing it or whether you're you're using it, like you said, for modeling and stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there really needs to be clearer regulation to preserve the privacy of confidentiality of data okay. being used for artificial intelligence and machine learning. Right. You know, especially when you consider the volumes of data being collected every day. You know, Alice Siri, Alexa, etc. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. Oh, okay. Go ahead, sorry.
1: No, I was just going to say, but you know, regulation is only part of the solution. We can also implement better technology to protect the privacy of the data.
0: Yeah, well, that's great because uh, that was my next question. Here is I wanted to ask if you could uh, sort of speak about how today's computer devices and enterprise platforms are are being regulated against collections of user data, especially regarding the use of artificial intelligence, machine learning for data privacy. Is there are there things from a from a device level or from a cloud level or platform level that you would do better if you could?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think as many of us are aware, there is a data exhaust that's being created by a myriad of connected devices. As an example, it could be petabytes of voice data. I mentioned platforms Mm -hmm. like Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, or Apple Siri. Uh, You know, Today, much of that data is potentially sent to the cloud unencrypted and transcribed into plain text, Mm -hmm. which could be used by machine learning and artificial intelligence applications for a whole host of applications and services. And and that could be for product recommendations and advertising, right? So again, Mm -hmm. one day, you know, we're talking to Alexa and the next day we're getting pitched new products. Mm -hmm. Um, So at a minimum, you know, from sort of our perspective, that data should be fully encrypted at rest in motion and then most notably when it's actually being processed or in use. Um, You know, if regulation and security was increased to enforce the level of data privacy, um, i think it would give com- you know consumers more confidence to share their data okay. in- yeah.
0: yeah now um I, I feel like a lot of the sort of uh you know data privacy that's happened in in the sort of um storage and collection space la, you know that that gdpr has uh you know whether it's been you know you can argue whether it's been well implemented or whether it goes far enough or too far or whatever but uh you know it 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 sort of forced the hand in terms of like creating you know, solutions, whether, you know, I mean, uh, everyone, uh, yeah, at this point, everyone's clicking except cookies at all times and stuff. But uh, um, do you think that a similar type of sort of forcing the hand action would sort of bring the tech into into space, you know, into the, the space here? Or does it need to sort of happen more organically?
1: I mean, I think regulation absolutely could be a, a forcing hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think people should be... Doing it more because, you know, it's the right thing to do uh, versus having regulation force it. But we saw this in 2008 with Dodd-Frank where Mm. suddenly Mm -hmm. all the financial institutions had to suddenly provide the transparency um, and, and the regulatory controls were put in place. So it could be very similar with data privacy.
0: Okay. Um, do you get a sense that uh there's maybe concern or fear about misusing user user data and that it's preventing some organizations from taking full advantage of data collection, machine learning, modeling? Is there do you, do you think there's a sense that rather than do something wrong and get in trouble, we'd rather just not dip our toe in the water at all? Or is it the other way where we're all doing it and no one's really thinking about the consequences and then you know the the,
1: the yeah. Yeah, no, I think there's definitely a general concern uh, amongst most companies about how to handle data privacy. Now, some are going ahead within the limitations of the current laws and regulations where others have legacy systems, which make this much more difficult. Right. I think, you know, while the law is not all encompassing, there's strong sentiment and an ongoing ethical debate about the use of private data. Mm -hmm. Um, As I mentioned before, it shouldn't be a question of asking for permission versus begging for forgiveness, right? We need to develop a framework that protects everyone's privacy by default.
0: Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Um now uh from a from a technical consideration, you mentioned just sort of end-to-end encryption, but can you sort of walk me through what uh you know a, a technical base, you know, and once the you know, the quote unquote regulations have come through and we've decided, you know, to move forward with intentionality here, like what uh what would the technical considerations be to sort of um Secure all this data better. Like, can you sort of like build a like an example model for me in, in your head? Sure. I mean, if we talk about
1: security of data in the cloud uh, as an example, right? And that's mm-hmm. probably one of the most important considerations, especially speaking with a lot of CISOs, chief information security officers, and they're implementing things like tokenization technologies to protect sensitive information. Mm-hmm. And and while that solution actually does mostly secure the data. It actually makes the data completely unusable unless you decrypt it or detokenize it, uh, and so obviously that creates security risks. I think you know what we're hearing is that you know the the chance of a data breach, which could significantly have both reputational and other significant consequences for any firm, um, that you know companies continue to make this mistake, um, which is something that you know needs to be addressed.
0: You think there's any kind of uh, you know blank as a service type situation here where it, you know for for people who might you know benefit from from doing this kind of data modeling and and so forth but are as I said before are, are sort of squeamish about doing it do you have any advice for people who are jittery about these types of big projects to jump in and and feel like they have sort of like some protection in mind or anything like
1: that I mean, Canada. I think companies that are not taking advantage of their data are likely losing competitive advantage. Um, mm-hmm. Companies with better data are in a position to make more informed product recommendations, right. reduce customer churn, uh, and, and better protect against financial fraud. As as three great examples, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are many ways to implement data solutions with varying levels of security and data privacy. Uh, my personal recommendation for early adopters would be to start with a smaller, lower impact data set that can be piloted. Once that workflow has been proven, the process can be scaled up and over to higher value data to derive broader and deeper business insights. Gotcha.
0: Um, so uh, this this might be sort of I think this is kind of an event diagram of things we've already discussed, but I want to sort of ask you from another angle here. So uh, you mentioned in our in our pre-interview contact that you wanted to discuss some of the latest revelations around data privacy and why. Closing the encryption gap is so important for business. So can you speak about that term when we talk about this, you know, the the hiring gap and the skills gap and so forth? Can you talk about the encryption gap and what some of the primary issues with encryption or lack thereof
1: are in today's
0: cybersecurity landscape?
1: Sure. The the, the encryption gap pertains to the fact that much of the data in the cloud is unencrypted. Uh, Mm -hmm. That means that I was mentioning earlier, if the data is breached, it could potentially expose this plain text and human readable, which could obviously create significant consequences for anyone. Um, So fundamentally, one of the primary issues with encryption is that when the data is encrypted, it becomes unusable and has little to no utility. Mm -hmm. So imagine a world where all of the data in the cloud is encrypted to protect privacy by default, but you could actually still derive value from the encrypted data. Mm. Um, We're not there yet. Chris, right? I mean, has mm-hmm. be very clear. However, yeah. we need to continue innovating, um, especially encryption technologies, which allow the utility of the data for important functions like running AI predictions and other analytics. Is I mean,
0: when you say we're not there yet, is this a is this need to be sort of like a tech or an innovation jump,
1: or is it just need to be a lot more people sort of like buying in? I think it's both, right? I mean, organizational mm-hmm. change. I mean, change management in of itself. Sure. has fundamentally been one of the biggest blockers to implementing technology. And then even from a technology perspective, you know, Kate privacy deals with privacy-preserving machine learning capabilities. Mm-hmm. And we're still very much in the early innings there. While we're proving the capabilities, um, now we're scaling the capabilities so that they can be used by large companies and actually small companies as well, right? Really for everybody.
0: Gotcha. Now, um, I want to sort of pivot over to the uh, the work side of uh, the Cyber Work podcast and talk about careers in, in this space. So, uh, yeah, from a work standpoint, do you have any tips or advice for students or cybersecurity career aspirants who want to work in the realm of data privacy? Are there some experiences in this day and age or self-initiated projects that they should be engaging in now to make themselves more desirable to potential employees, employers? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that attracted me
1: to um, the space was really the fact that cybersecurity is a fast-moving sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, our successful hires have experience in building security, privacy, machine learning, and cloud technology platforms. I would say being familiar with the latest trends in technologies, um, you know, the areas of the business for both personal and professional development would be a great starting point, um, especially to be more desirable to potential employers. Um, as an example, we recently re-platformed our entire software on Rust. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, that's a, that's a great sort of technology that's high in demand for for new developers. So learning rust would be a a great sort of angle there. Uh, our team also has a lot of open source experience. So if you're new to the game, contributing to projects as part of an open source community is a great way to get involved.
0: Okay. So I'm, I'm guessing you probably, uh, you know, do some hiring personally yourself. Like what are some things you like to see on a resume or, or sort of, how do you like to sort of. Find out about you know potential people who could work for for Kate Privacy. What are what are the things you have to see on a resume, or what are the things that indicate that this person has the sort of passion or interest, or you know, can learn the tech as long as they
1: have the interest or, or excitement about it. I think that's the key, right? It's the passion and the interest to learn to show that yep. they have the aptitude to adapt and change, especially for an early stage company like ours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to be able to pivot and to be able to you know turn on a dime. Um, so, you know, certainly in terms of what I look for on resumes, it's going to be, um, you know, obviously if they're, they're undergraduate, that they've shown achievements during school. As I said, if they've contributed to open source projects, if they've, you know, self taught themselves things like Rust or Go, Python, um, you yep. know, these sorts of things, taking the self initiative um, would certainly be a, an indicator of a good hire. How
0: about how about with with regards to sort of moving up the ladder? Like once you're in, once you're in the door, like what are what are things that a data privacy person, uh, you know, does to kind of level themselves up and 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 take on more responsibility and and sort of higher titles and so forth? What what are what are
1: some things that you recommend in that regard? So I think you know again our space is fairly new, but mm-hmm. having experience obviously with cloud technologies, machine learning, artificial intelligence. Um, The privacy segment is obviously something that's developing rapidly. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, if you're sort of middle management, moving up, et cetera, Mm. you know, someone that's had years of experience with cloud infrastructure, with machine learning technologies, uh, artificial intelligence, I would say those are obviously some of the key things that we look for as well. Gotcha. Okay, so uh, this is this has been great. As we
0: wrap up today, Jay, can you tell us about your company, Cape Privacy, uh, the services you offer your clients, and some of the big updates or projects you're looking forward to working on and unveiling in 2022?
1: Sure. Um, so Cape provides a, a self-service cloud platform for running AI predictions on encrypted data, most specifically without decryption. Mm-hmm. Um, we recently launched a new product um, that enables Snowflake users to do this securely. Um, CAPE's getting tr- great traction within the financial services industry due, in, due to its highly regulated nature mm-hmm. and confidentiality of much of its data. Um, however, we anticipate this to grow into other industries. We're getting a lot of interest from healthcare, telco, and, and most recently from the US federal government.
0: Yeah, so I, I guess I guess big data in this regard is is going to be sort of across all of the all of the platforms in, in the future here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think
1: you know every industry is dealing with the data exhaust, as we mentioned earlier. And Mm -hmm. I think that everyone has to address data privacy and encryption specifically. Uh, I mean, one of the things that we are trying to, uh, again, adapt and evolve our technology is to make it more developer first so that every developer, every engineer on the planet, I think there's something like 20 million engineers, that they were able to leverage our encryption technology as part of their infrastructure and their code base gotcha
0: now um yeah I mean do you have any any final thoughts in regards to um, just the, just the sort of ethics of it and 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 how you see it how you see these things going forward and how you hope they are and what you're afraid you know might happen uh, with regards to uh, sort of uh, going towards a universal adoption of uh you know the encryption gap and and big big, big data and so forth
1: you know I, I'd said this already but I'll, I'll say it again I think yeah. that we in a a perfect world, all of our data in the cloud will be encrypted. Yes. And so in order to get some sort of utility from that data that's, you know, bulletproof, you're going to need services, you know, like CAPES technology in order to be able to run analytics, to run um, machine learning, AI. Right, right. Uh, And that's really the, you know, the transformation and the, the pivot that we need to, it's a paradigm shift, frankly, Chris, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we often use the example of the electric car when we're talking about innovation and 20 years ago, if um, Elon Musk or someone had taken the Tesla to the, to the designers or the product team at Ford, they would have probably been politely asked to leave. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, now everyone's moving to the electric car. And I think, you know, fundamentally that's what we are now Building with our technology, it's innovation. No one's looking for encrypted data in use as a Mm. fundamental capability as an engineering team. Um, So, you know, everyone's looking for a horse when we've got, or a faster horse, and we've got, you know, the equivalent of an electric car now. So it's, it's a paradigm shift for people to get their heads around Doing this because it is possible to be able to do machine learning on encrypted data mm-hmm. and to have that as widespread and pervasive across the engineering base.
0: Okay, that's good to know. So yeah, so for people who are also looking to enter the space, you you, you have to realize that you're you need to both have the technical know-how and also have a bit of PR in you to uh, <laughs> sort of change wow. hearts, change hearts and minds here. So exactly, exactly. There's a little okay. bit of an evangelist. Absolutely. So for uh, one, one last question for all marbles, if our listeners want to learn more about uh, Che Wee-Jasinger, uh, where should they go online?
1: <laughs> As I don't have a huge social media presence. Uh, okay. I am on LinkedIn. Uh, okay. And, uh, you know, I tweet rarely, but I'm also on Twitter. But uh, feel free to to connect with me on, on LinkedIn. And, okay. And uh, Kate Privacy is at? Kateprivacy.com. com. Okay. Well, Che, thank you so much for joining me today. This was really fun. Absolutely, Chris. Thank you
0: so much for the time. And as always, thank you to everyone uh, who is listening to and supporting Cyber Work. New episodes of the Cyber Work podcast are available every Monday at 1 p.m. Central, both on video at our YouTube page and on audio wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Uh, and I just want to make sure you all know we have a lot more than weekly interviews about cybersecurity careers to offer. Uh, you can actually learn cybersecurity for free on our Infosec Skills platform. Just go to infosecinstitute.com slash free, create an account, and you can start learning right now. We've got free cybersecurity foundation courses, cybersecurity leadership courses, digital forensic, incident response, security architecture, DevSecOps, Python for cybersecurity, JavaScript security, ICS and SCADA security fundamentals, and more. Again, go to infosecinstitute.com slash free and start learning today. Thank you very much once again to Chasinga and to Kate Privacy. And thank you all so much for watching and listening. And we will speak to you next week.